I long, as does every human being, to be at home wherever I find myself. Maya Angelou. So I just naively opened the doors of Madonna Mission, thinking that, you know, we'll have classes. We started small. We had maybe eight women the first year. Last year, we grew to almost 60 women. But it's also community. And we feel at Madonna Mission that education is empowerment. And it's just a dignity of learning. Some of these women, it's the first time they've gone to school, period. This is Crossings, the Refugee Experience in America. Our podcast looks across a broad array of organizations, cultural institutions, artists, and writers that are part of the refugee experience. We call these usually secular, but there is no denying the enormous positive impact faith-centered institutions have on resettlement, education, and health services for refugees. In this, our fifth episode, we visit with CEO Lynn Gordon at Madonna Mission. In a small, self-proclaimed two-room schoolhouse near Loyola Park on Chicago's North Shore, Madonna Mission provides tutoring services for school-aged children and much-needed training in English to refugee women. We recorded this session shortly before a nationwide lockdown and quarantine in the wake of escalating COVID-19 cases in the United States. At the end of this program, we'll offer ways our listeners can help the organization maintain virtual tutoring services for its clients. As always, you can find out more about our programs and activities on at Crossings Refugees on Facebook, at Refugee underscore America on Twitter, or on our blog, crossingsrefugees.home.blog. This episode's interview follows. We are here with Lynn Gordon, founder and CEO of Madonna Mission, educating refugees in Chicago. First of all, thank you for being here. May I call you Lynn? Yes. Great. Lynn, let's just get right to it. What is the flagship program service your organization provides to a refugee population uh, during their course of resettlement or repatriation? We actually have three programs. We have a morning English as a second language course, uh, ESL, for women. And then we have an after-school program. And then we have two summer programs, one for boys and one for girls. So, Lynn, you, you, you mentioned adult women specifically. Uh, why is it that that group is important to Madonna Mission? Well, I actually started um, working with, with refugees about 15 years ago. And during that course, just tutoring children. And then during that course, um, I got to know some of the mothers. And um, especially one family, I would go and help the mother learn some English. And then she um, had a lot of challenges trying to figure out how to get her children in school. And all these families come through resettlement agencies that do a terrific job with them. But they you know, run their course out of like usually 90 days. They're on their own. So this woman... Um, was actually pretty much alone. I actually got contacted from her family um, in Atlanta through Jubilee Partners. That's another organization that they, it's a really terrific organization. So um, I helped her out a little bit, and then I realized, I thought, how many other women are isolated or alone and don't have any place to turn? So I just naively opened the doors of Madonna Mission, thinking that, you know, we'll have classes. We started small. 
We had maybe eight women the first year. Last year, we grew to almost 60 women. Not all the time. We have a small place. but um, And it's really, it, it's we provide English for them um, as a way for them to learn the language here and get more assimilated in the culture and help their children in school and get jobs. But it's also community. And we feel at Madonna Mission that education is empowerment. And it's just a dignity of learning. Some of these women, it's the first time they've gone to school, period. One woman we have, um, Muwa from Burma, she was married at age 15 in the camp. She was not allowed to go to school in the camp because she was married as a woman. So this is her first school. And she's so focused on learning so she can talk to her children's teachers. And anyway, that's a long answer to your question, but that's really why we started to really, we're the women. Well, not at all, because it really leads into another subject here with the benefits of uh, what is commonly called psychosocial integration. You speak of uh, developing a community and moving away from isolation, which I I think is probably a condition that's more apparent with uh, women refugees. Are there other psychosocial benefits to this kind of training? And does that reflect more so with the adults or with the children? Um, I think we see it more so with the adults. And especially, we started with a, a larger Burmese group about eight or nine years ago. And um, we're seeing more Syrians come through now. And there's a lot of, um, I think, a lot more psychosocial issues there. But I definitely, I mean, we have women here who have lost their children on the streets and in their hometowns in Syria, and yet they're here. You know, yet they come and they want to be a part of the community. And I always feel like just the courage to come through these doors and say, I want to learn. I want to learn from strangers. I think it's just, it's just, I think courage really helps them. It helps them grow and um, survive, I think. You know, so I'm sure there's, I know there's a lot, I'm not a psychiatrist, I know there's a lot, it's a lot more in, embedded in a lot of different ways. But I just think that being here, being with other people, seeing that we have tutors that come through, and, and it's a training for them too, but seeing that people care is just part of your healing. Learning that there are people who care um, and in, in this new country that you come to as a newcomer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So regarding the school children, um, obviously there's after-school programming, and maybe you can speak a little bit to that, but also do you provide this service in between traditional school terms or other methods of instruction for helping to reach those populations? Yeah, so um, I've been, since I started volunteering the, with refugees, that was through Catholic Charities, I've been running summer programs ever since I started, maybe 14 years ago. And so we had, we had rented other places. When we opened Madonna Mission, we held the program here. So what happened was after that first summer, kids kept coming back during the year asking for some homework help. And, and so that just really grew. It grew out of the need for these children. And um, one of the women that was here then put us in contact with the high school. So we have a lot of terrific partners that come through. And we have over 200 volunteers that come through and um, help the kids with their homework. And it's, it's, um, it's a learning experience for all the tutors, but especially the high school tutors, because these children do not, their parents, some of the parents never went to school. So most still cannot read English. And um, so it's eye-opening for them to realize, you know, we are really 
providing an important um, course for these kids to come here and have a little bit of homework help. And the Chicago schools, the children come from different schools, but all these schools are overwhelmed with students like this, you know, immigrants or refugees or kids that need extra help. And so I feel like we're sort of helping out with the school as well. When we open, um, when we, our after school program has really evolved. When we started it, it was really homework help and little games. Now it's a real literacy-based, um, focused after school programs. They come in, they do their homework, we test them when they come in for um, reading levels, and then um, they grow through the books. We have sixth graders that come here who could read English perfectly, but you ask them what they read, and they have no idea what they're reading. So it's a comprehension. So we really, we're really trying to help them a little bit more in the comprehension of reading. And, um, and it helps the schools, too, because these kids become, um, you know, um, sort of, what do you call it, but just, I want to say promise, but you know, they, they can't understand the English, so they need extra help in all the schools. So it really helps to add this program. Yeah, you can't expect that CPS or uh, Chicago Public Schools would have a specific homeroom for newcomers in every school. No, yeah. right, right. And, and in a way, this is that, that type of service. Mm-hmm. It sounds very complicated as regards the variety of languages and skills that you'll be facing and your volunteers. To effectively tutor here, you have to have some understanding of other languages. Do you know how many languages are spoken here and supported in your organization? Oh, we have, you know, 12 to 15 languages, but we really focus on English. Mm-hmm. You know, even the women that come in, they start talking like, how, what did you say? Can you say that in English? So, mm-hmm. um, no, we don't have it. We have a couple people who come in and do some translations if the women really need help talking to teacher or understanding what is going on in their school. But we're really um, pretty much English language based. I guess that makes more sense. I remember going to Spanish class and it's habla espanol. Uh-huh, uh-huh. No English, Vince. No English. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your comprehension mm-hmm. uh, builds better that way. So how, how do your clients find you? How do they end up at Madonna Mission? It is totally a word of mouth. We have not marketed this program um, because as you can tell, we have a very small space. We have two, we call it like a changing two, two classroom schoolhouse because we just move tables around. We accommodate people as much as we can. Um, so we have not marketed it. It's been a woman telling another woman, a child, a student telling his mother to come. Um, it's, it's been that. It's networking through the women. So from the point of view of the founder and president, who, who you are, uh, what are the greatest challenges you face to sustain this program and the services for the community? Um, I think the greatest challenge is really raising money, really. That's basically We need to move from here. So that's one of the things, developing it. I really want to see it um, being a sustainable organization that is really the women's face, the face of the women, uh, my face. Because sometimes when you're a founder, you're you're everything, you're here all the time. And so I feel like it really has to grow and develop um, through uh, organization and other leaders. But I I like, this is not really a challenge, but this is one of um, part of our mission, is really helping people understand that they can make a difference the volunteers coming in here and knowing, like, it's just 
amazing to me. Some of the people come here and say, I never knew I could work with someone who was so different from me, right? It wasn't fear. It was just a, maybe a little bit of the unknown. And um, it really changes lives. And so we, the refugee women and the children are learning, but I feel like we are learning a lot more because you can really learn from each other. And I, t- I, I think that my feeling is that... Um, Really, when you share your gifts, share your talents, and you give of yourself, you really find out who you really are as a person. It really changes you. It, I think it completes you. And I've seen students. We have university students. I had a, a girl come in here a couple years ago in the fall, and she was beautiful, so accomplished, a senior, already leaved. She done with her courses and just looking to put some time elsewhere. She came here a one day, and then in the next second semester, it became like two to three dams a week. And when she left in May, she was moving on to Seattle for a job. I said, oh my gosh, thank you so much for coming. You've been so great. And she just over and she goes, this literally changed. She goes, I was so depressed at school. I could, I was just struggling. I almost left school in the fall. I would never have known it. And she said, this has made me graduate with a feeling of accomplishment and, um, just pride. And I thought, wow, that, you know, it's just, it's, uh, that's a hidden jewel <laughs> because you just don't know that until you jump in. So I forget your question. It's, not a ch- it's just, it's just really um, not a challenge, but it's just a part of the mission is really understanding of what everybody learns from each other. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great story. Uh, speaking of mission, um, Madonna Mission is part of a I would say, broader faith-based organization. Um, and I'd like to hear a little bit about that uh, 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 platform of faith and, and how the values of your faith play into the organization's mission and daily activities. Okay. Um, well, Madonna, Madonna is after our Heavenly Mother, Mary, and so, and Madonna Mission. So, and I am a... a um, a big fan of St. Mother Teresa's. And so when I named it, I thought, oh, mission, because she has a mission of charity, and I thought that worked well together. So that's where Madonna Mission came from. The faith is my faith. I'm raised Catholic, and, um, you know, that's what I go to Mass every day. I feel strengthened um, from the Eucharist, and it's really um, where I'm coming from. And um, I work and seek Christ in everyone, and we're there to see that. Um, however, I, you know, we have volunteers who are every faith-based, um, Presbyterian, Baptist, Episcopalian, Jewish, Catholic, and so it's everything. And then our, um, our students are all faith. I, I literally, I think I learned more about my faith from one of our students who came from Burma. She's Christian. Wow, she had some powerful stories. But, you know, we, Buddhist, Muslim, and we're really... It's really great when we have, I think I was telling you that we have these Christmas parties and everyone comes in and we all just, um, we just enjoy each other. We respect each other's background. And I was going to mention something and throw this in, but um, one of the things with the women, um, what happens to the refugees is many times, I'm sure you were this, that the children become the parents. The children learn English. So they are advocating and they take them to the doctors. They do the, you know, rental negotiations. And the women, to some extent, some of them I've seen, have sort of 
lost their voice to some extent. And I am so um, driven or empowered to make sure these women know they are still the parents. They are still the mothers. They still have the ability to say no. They are still part of their children's lives. And also, their culture is important. We really, you know, we say bring... They, when we have big parties, they bring their food in. In the summer, for the, our summer party, which I love, it's one of my favorite, we always do a culture day. The kids bring in their, they wear their culture, you know, their traditional dress, or they come in with pictures, and they're really proud of that, and I'm proud of it. You know, we all have to respect our heritage and where we came from, and yet they are all excited to be here. America is a land of opportunity for the women, for their children. They are here for the education. When you go in some of their apartments, you will see the report cards taped on the wall. You'll see the maps, and then you'll see the report cards. And it's really, you know, it's really um, inspiring to see that. And what an American tradition, because I remember my report card, maybe not always the best one uh, on the refrigerator, but it was always there to uh-huh. remind me one way or the other. That's great. Yeah. Uh, we're not looking for really an opinion on this, but but we're speaking to everyone who's in the, the craft of working with refugees, whether it's education or resettlement. Uh, we know in September of 2019, an executive order 13780 was signed by the president. It's named the Executive Order on Enhancing State and Local Involvement in Refugee Resettlement. It has a number of effects, but the one that's most widely been reported is the reduction in admissions, which is actually being challenged as we speak uh, in court. But uh, ultimately, uh, this was stated as 18,000 from previously about 30, and we know it was as high as 85,000 admissions about three years prior. We've never seen that many actually come to our shores and be admitted. But with that hard ceiling, does this have some impact on your program planning or how you're thinking about things into the future? Or is the settled community here so large that Madonna Mission will never want for students? Well, I'm not sure about that, you know, in terms of um, what's it going to look like, what it's going to look like in five to ten years. Um, we, uh, our program is not resettlement. So we don't, you know, we don't depend on those numbers. We have women who have been here for six months to like six or eight years, women who still want to learn English, kids who still come here after school. So our program has not really seen a lot of changes, actually. Um, It's very sad what's going on. I feel, you know, a lot of the agencies, I think maybe 100 have have closed around the country, and um, a lot have cut back their staff in Chicago which is so tough because these programs have been built back for built over the years and it's going to take a long time to build them back. I um I'm not going to be political. I mean, you know, refugees it is more difficult that for a refugee to enter this country than anybody else. Refugees go through an intense vetting process and they are screened you know, a lot. So it's just, it's a difficult, less than 1%, I think that's the number, but will be able to even be resettled anywhere. It's such a small percentage in the camps. Because we're talking some 70 million in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's the largest number. Um, but, you know, I'm like, well, if the president wants to check the, pol- you know, check the vetting process and make sh- and, and um, confirm that it's, it's, you know, it's, it is a, 
intense screening process. Um, I haven't checked it, but I have hopes. I keep saying that I have hopes that it is going to open back up because America is a country that has really, um, you know, had pride in accepting others, and especially when you see what's going on around the world. The refugee number is only going to escalate. Climate, there's going to be refugees, going to be, or people are going to be refugees because of climate issues going on right now in Africa. So it's, it's, it's not going, going away. So I feel like, you know, I'm hoping that it's going to, their numbers are going to rise a little bit. So we do not take government money. So we, we don't have any restrictions on the numbers. We can take five or we can take 50. So thank you, Lynn Gordon, founder and CEO of Madonna Mission, educating refugees in Chicago. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. And thanks for taking on this really important subject and opening everyone's eyes to refugees. You're very welcome. And it's our pleasure. Thank you. Madonna Mission has suspended in-person tutoring during the pandemic for the safety of its clients and staff. The organization is providing continuity with online tutoring sessions. Please visit their website for information on how you can help at www.madonnamission.org. Then navigate to How You Can Help. Today's episode, A Two-Room Schoolhouse on the North Shore, came to you from Chicago, Illinois. Find us on Facebook, at Crossings Refugees, on Twitter, at Refugee underscore America, or on our blog, crossingsrefugees.home.blog. Today's episode was written and produced by Vincent Hostack and Janice Pugh-Waller in Denver, Colorado. Music was composed, produced, and performed by John Orr Franklin from Austin, Texas. We look forward to providing future episodes in this new compact format, as well as audio updates on how the global pandemic is affecting refugees, coming very soon. Until then, I'm your host, Vincent Hostack. Please be safe, well, and hopeful.